Well, it's good, uh, as I said, to see all of you today, and thank you for being here. We appreciate the uh, uh, the fact that we live in a country that we can all uh, actually gather together and worship without any impediments whatsoever. And I see on uh, Facebook and other places where Christians, uh, uh, particularly here in America, they tend to be whiners and complainers. Uh, I don't know, I'm one, right? Are you? Uh, we, we whine and we complain about how hard it is to be a Christian, and we don't even look uh, across the street to see what real hardship and real difficulty is. We have it so good, and let's pray that God will continue that in our country, and, and, and instead of being uh, complaining, let's give great thanks. It's amazing how free we are uh, in this great land. If you have your Bible, open them to 1 Timothy chapter 3. If you don't, there's an insert in your bulletin. You can take that out and read along with us. Um, and we're going to read the same passage we've been looking at for the past five weeks. And uh, today and next Sunday, we'll finish it up. So let's uh, pay attention here and listen to the Word of God. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He, Jesus, was manifest in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up uh, into glory. This is the word of the Lord. We've been talking about this path to glory. Jesus came from heaven to earth. That's what we've always taught in this church, is the, tra- the trajectory of God's dealing with people is always from heaven to earth. You just don't find any stories in the Bible where people are actually trying to find God, like He's hidden, you know, He's hiding. Uh, you just don't see that. What you see is God intruding into the world and looking for people. And sometimes he does it in extraordinary ways. He knocks people off their donkeys like uh, he did with the Apostle Paul, or he appears in a burning bush like he did to Moses, or he comes to, to uh, uh, the, the person like uh, Abraham in some mysterious way. We don't even know how he appeared to Abraham. It just says the Lord came to him and told him something. So we don't know if he saw anything, or he just heard something, or he, he had an impression in his heart. We really don't know, and we shouldn't speculate. But God comes and he interferes. Aren't you glad he interferes? He interferes with this world. Why? Because, well, it's his world. He can do with it what he wants. And we're his people, and he can do with us what he wants. And what he wants to do with us is take us on a path to glory. To glory. And we see this path to glory sketched out in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and he's referring to Jesus, to the life of our Savior. And our lives um, follow that same track. They follow that same path that Jesus was on. And our lives, as I've been telling you week by week, find their meaning as we identify with His track, with His life, with Him personally. Your life will take on meaning the closer into a relationship you get with Him. So we looked at His being manifest in the flesh. We talked about the incarnation. It's an amazing doctrine of the church, the incarnation. Vindicated 
uh, by the Spirit, how Jesus was justified in all that He did. His works were pleasing to God. And God said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have pleased me and you've done all that is right. Therefore, I vindicate you. And of course, the cross and the resurrection were that vindication. He was seen by angels. You see, the angels of God were always sent into the world to accompany the great redemptive moments of God and especially to accompany the king as the king went into battle. And so you see throughout Jesus' life, punctuated by the appearance of angels. They were witnesses, if you will, to his glory. And they showed up and they did amazing things. The one place we don't see them showing up is at the cross. There, He died alone. No one to rescue. No one to save Him. But He was seen by angels. Last week we looked at Him, the proclamation of the Gospel. He was proclaimed among the nations. No longer is Jesus just Jesus of the Jews. He is Jesus of the nations, the ethne. Of all of us. So no matter what your background is, no matter where you're from, you have the assurance that you stand on equal footing with every person in God's creation that He's ever made, regardless of their race or ethnicity. He's come to all of us, to everyone, to the high and the mighty, to the low and the meek, to those that have money, those that don't have money, those of every color, every language, every race. And by doing that, He makes everybody on earth worthy of our love and our compassion. Something the church, sadly, has not often done a good job of. And today we're going to talk about what it means to believe on Him in the world. What does that mean, to believe He was believed on in the world? We'll talk a little bit about faith. Uh, Faith is one of those things that when you talk about faith, it's almost like a switch clicks in our mind and we start thinking crazy thoughts when you mention faith. And uh, I know this because I struggle with it myself, and I talk, to, uh, I talk to many of you, and I know that faith is something you figure, how in the world do I get my head around uh, faith? So uh, let's talk about what faith is. And what I'm going to suggest is that we'll look at it with these three, just the usual three points uh, as, as an outline. What is faith? And I'm going to suggest that we need to examine that it's a conviction, not credulity. Conviction versus credulity. And I'll explain that in a moment. And then we'll ask the question, do I have true faith or true conviction? Or is it credulity? And I'm going to show you how you can know. And then finally, where is that uh, conviction located? Where do you find it? in its fullest uh, expression. And so let's look at these three things. Conviction or credulity. Well, credulity is a word that means just believing something just because you want to believe it. See, I can, I, I, can, I can walk out and say, this table is my God. It's my Savior. And believe me, there are people in the world that actually believe the communion table saves them. You know that, right? And uh, we don't believe the communion table saves us, but we do believe that the Christ of the communion table saves us. That's why we take communion. Amen? That's what it means. But I can tell you that, and you say, oh, isn't that nice? Chuck believes the communion table. He's kind of crazy. He's kind of nutty. And that's the truth. Because credulity doesn't need any evidence. You can just believe. You can believe in fairy dust. You can believe in Peter Pan. You can believe in Santa Claus. You can believe in anything you want. 
but recognize that it's credulity and not true faith, not a conviction, because there's no objective thing that you can lay hold of that is irrefutable. It's just you believe. And so what that is, credulity, as I've told you, through, I don't know, going back to probably the first Sunday I was at Christ the King. Credulity is faith in your faith. It is not faith in something else. It's faith in your faith. And so you can say to a block, as Isaiah said in his great letter, uh, in his great uh, uh, prophetic writings, Isaiah said, you can believe that a block of wood will save you. But don't you know, can't you reason that you're taking that block of wood and you're taking some of it and putting it in the fire to cook your food. You're taking a little bit of that block of wood and you're putting it in the fire to keep yourself warm. And you're carving another out of another piece of that wood a God and saying that God saves you. Don't you see reason? Don't you think? Can't you think? And then he calls them a blockhead. You blockhead. It's really kind of humorous. Is you've taken a block of wood and you're the blockhead. Don't you think? Don't you reason? Because credulity doesn't need anything. You can say anything. And I believe in anything. I can believe that I can fly. That's credulity. It's faith in your faith. It's not faith in anything worthy or substantial. Conviction, on the other hand, is something entirely different. Conviction is an utter trust. It's, a real, it's absolute surety because it is founded and grounded in something. Something real. Something that's tangible. Something that you can put your full weight on. Now the Reformers, as we learned in our Monday night class, many of you heard this before, the Reformers, in their, in their struggle with medieval Catholicism, in the struggle with medieval Catholicism, the issue was sola fide. Only faith. Faith alone. And so there, was, there needed to be a discussion, what is true faith? What is it? And I don't know anyone in this church that I've ever spoken to. Keith and I were talking the other day, what is faith? Right, Keith? We were talking about it just the other day. But here's the answer. What is faith? The reformers knew they had to answer that question. And so they came up with these three categories. I'm sure you all have heard them. Notitia, Ascensus, and Fiducia. Notitia, or notice, or information, is the first part of faith. You see, we can, uh, uh, D. James Kennedy, I've, I think I've used this illustration, D. James Kennedy would take a chair. You all know who D. James Kennedy Have any of you been through evangelism, explosion training? Mary has, I know. Have you all done evangelism? Then you know what he does, right? He takes the chair, and he holds it. He says, here's a chair. See the chair? You're looking, kids? Look at the chair. How many of you see the chair? Raise your hand. Okay, everybody sees the chair. It's got metal. It's got plastic. It's pretty sturdy. You know, we can hit it on the floor. Pretty good like that. How many of you believe in this chair? Raise your hand. If you don't believe in this chair, something's wrong with you. We need to get you to a doctor. The chair's here. You can see it like that. That's, no, that's information about the chair. I, in fact, we could get a spec sheet and we could give you all kinds of crazy information. So that's the chair. That's notitia. That's information about the chair. And everybody can believe the information. The next part of it is a census. Ascent. Do you believe this chair is a chair? Yes, I believe it's a chair. Do you know what the chair is made for? Yes, for people to sit on. Do you believe that the chair is capable? Now, don't anybody say anything like, oh, no, that chair won't hold you. Yes, it will. Don't make fun of my weight. 
which is going away by leaps and bounds. Um, the chair. Would you believe it will hold? Oh yeah, it'll hold Chuck. So Chuck sits down. There you go. That's ascent. And here I am sitting, aren't we all comfortable? And everybody's sitting in the chair. But fiducia is that I get this chair and I put it on the edge of a cliff that drops into the world, into the bottom of the world. And I say, I'm going to step on this chair and put all my weight, everything on it, trusting that it will not break and I won't fall into the abyss. That, and I, I didn't do it right because I really don't believe that I can do that. <laughs> but if I did, I would just hop right up there and put all my weight on it. That's fiducia. That's putting all your weight. That is trusting God, trusting the One who is worthy, the object that you've reasoned it out, you've thought about it, you said, you know, if He created the world... And He really did send His Son and the resurrection did happen and He raised Jesus from the dead, then I can trust Him with... And you fill in the blank. Yes? I can trust Him with uh, my disease. I can trust Him with my finances. I can trust Him with my job. I can trust Him with my future. I can trust Him with my marriage and my children. No matter what is there in front of me, I can trust Him. And it's not credulity. You're not believing in pie in the sky. You have something objective. Now, the belief and the faith may require some things of you. And that we're going to talk about that in a minute. But you cannot be a sane person and actually reason it out and think about it and not come away with knowing that God has spoken and said something true and that if you believe Him that you can put your full weight of your life the entire weight of your life on Him. And the sooner you learn that, the better. That's why kids, listen to me. If you will make your mind up, I'm going to trust God with my life. I don't care what age you are. You can be little or older. I'm going to trust Him, even though I don't understand everything that's going on. And you live your life that way. Your life will take directions that no one will ever imagine. It may take you to some dark places too. But He will be there in a way that you cannot imagine. And those of you that are adults and have lived this way, you know that. You know that He's been faithful, yes? It's amazing. So, conviction is having that faithful object that you're putting your entire weight on. You cannot have faith in God one foot in, one foot out. That is not faith. That's a form of credulity. You're not all the way in. And to have saving faith, to have the kind of faith that's in the Bible, you put your entire weight on Him and on His promises to you, no matter the cost. Now, people can have all the evidence in the world. You see it every day. We can give them all the proofs and all the evidence and all the propositions. And human beings can still do what? They can still say, no, I reject it. But when they do, they're rejecting the truth. And they know they're doing it. Romans chapter 1, starting around verse 18, says they know they're rejecting the truth and they do it on purpose. They suppress the truth, uh, Paul said, and they replace it with a lie. They do this double crazy thing that R.C. Sproul says is the most amazing thing in the world, that they actually will take a lie and replace the truth and embrace the lie and displace the truth. 
and put and hold their hopes in the creature or the creation instead of the God that made the creation. And then he can't stand himself anymore, so he gives a doxology. He says, who is blessed forever? See, he gets carried away with his own rational argument for the existence of God. He says, wow, this is amazing, but look what people do. We're capable of doing that. So as as a believing Christian, what you're doing is you're saying, I'm going to take the evidence that's before me, God's promise and His Word, and I'm going to put my full weight on it. I'm going to trust Him no matter what. And that takes us to this second point. Do I have authentic faith? How do you know? And look, the, the good news of the Bible is not good news unless you face the bad news. And the bad news is that we live in a world that is terribly broken. Yes? Horribly broken. And if you're a Christian, you know that you were horribly broken. And that God, somehow, in His divine grace and kindness, took that broken mess and recreated it. Remade it. And so when you talk to somebody that has authentic faith, what you will hear is something like this. I don't really understand it all. I don't really know everything about it. But I know this. I was blind. But now I see. I was lost. But now I'm found. It's that simple. There is a self-awareness that you have been rescued from something you could not in a million years have rescued yourself from. And that never goes away. It never lessens. In fact, it grows and grows and gets bigger. Not so that you have self-hatred, but so that you're more amazed at the grace of God. And every day that I live as I get older, I am amazed at God's grace. How could He possibly have loved someone like me? How could He possibly have loved someone like me? And so it becomes more and more amazing. Do I have the conviction of faith? And the conviction of faith... According to Paul in this confession, he was believed on. Believed on is that full reliance. In fact, it's a very unusual construction in Greek. It's, I think, only found here where it's a passive aorist. Don't worry about the technology of all that Greek stuff. But what it means is that you're putting your entire and utter complete trust on him he was believed on in the world in other words people actually put their full weight on Jesus when they heard the gospel and then how do you know that's real authentic faith Paul goes on and explains it just in a few words guys a genius believed on where where did you do that where do you put your full weight in the world in the world, and he uses a word for world, the, wor- the word cosmos. All of you know what that is, cosmos. But when that word is used, it means in this troubled world, in this creation, in this fallen place, in this place of trouble. So faith, true, authentic faith. Listen, folks, this is the bad. This is the bad news, but it's really good news. If you want to know how do I have it, look at the crucible of your life. Look at the suffering. Look at the trouble. Look at the places where you're doubting and where you're fearful and where you're wondering, is this true? Look at the weaknesses. Look at those places. The crucible of your life is where you're going to find out if you have true faith. Because it's in that crucible 
of your life and what you do with that that makes all the difference in the world. And why I have urged you, all of you, every day, every Sunday that we gather together, I tell you that in that crucible, you each have a choice. You can turn from God and get bitter and angry and resentful and say it's not fair, it shouldn't have been this way, it should have been this way. Or you can run to Jesus and say, I don't know why you did this. I don't particularly like why you did this. I don't fully understand why you did this. But right now, I'm going to put my full weight on you. I'm going to trust you. I don't like it. I'm not even going to pretend to like it. In fact, I'm going to complain a little bit. Have any of you read the Psalms? You know, there's about 60% complaining. He's complaining. He's not like what you're doing. How long, O oh Lord, are you going to forgive me forever? What's going on up there? Don't you have a calendar? Do you know what day it is? Come on, things are getting critical down here. The enemies are coming. They're going to kill me. And if they kill me, I'm going to die. And then who's going to praise you? There's nobody else left. And this guy's got some, he has got some conviction that if he dies, David says, if I die, nobody's going to praise you like me. Don't you love that? That's some chutzpah. Nobody's going to praise you like me. You better save my life. Now that's what he's looking for. He's looking for that kind of an attitude, pure, raw humility, but at the same time, a pure and raw boldness to believe all that has been promised. Let me give you an example real quickly. Abraham, this is from Romans uh, chapter 4. Abraham believed God against hope. I'm reading to you from Romans 4. That he should become the father of many nations as had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not, listen folks, he did not weaken in faith when he considers his own body as good as dead and considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. You know, he was 100 years old and she was 90 years old. They had never had a child. They weren't going to have children. They're too old. And so as he considered, as he thought about these things, instead of saying, oh, it's hopeless. It's just, it's just terrible. Uh, there's just no way. It's impossible because I can't figure it out, so it must be impossible. You know, like, right. How, how's well is that working for you folks? I haven't figured it out, so I guess it's not going to work. That never works. Instead of doing that, he says no. He did not weaken in faith as he considered these things. No unbelief made him waver. He would not give way to it. Instead, listen to what he says. He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. In other words, what Abraham did as he considered this, as he thought about the deadness of his own body, his inability to produce children, and the barrenness of his wife at 90 years old, what chance did they have as he thought and ruminated about these things? He did not weaken in faith, but he went the other way. He ran to Jesus. He ran to his saviors. He, his savior. He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. You see, he he came closer to God with all of his doubts. With all of didn't I tell you that the other day, Keith? With all your doubts, with all your fear, with all of everything that bothers you, you go to him. You don't hold back and say, "Well, there's things I don't understand." Of course, you don't understand. So go to go to the person that understands. He drew near to Him. He gave glory to God. He came into relationship with His Lord. 
and worshipped Him, even though it's impossible. He gave glory to God. He was fully convinced this is a man who's not... He's not engaging in credulity whatsoever. He's fully convinced. In other words, he was sitting outside of his tent in the evening looking up at the stars and thinking and reasoning and, and working it all out in his mind. You know, look at this universe. Look what he did. Look what he's given me. Look at this tent. Look at this beautiful herds of sheep and goats and stuff I have. He's, he's been good to me. Look at my health. I'm a hundred, but I'm in good health. Thank God for my health. He considered those things and it made what? He thought about the promises. Look at those stars. If he put the stars up there, he can give me children. Amazing. He is convinced. He's reasoned it out. He's thought it out. And his faith, he said, this faith was counted to him as righteousness. And then Paul went the whole way. He says, and it wasn't just for him. It's for you also. Those of you who are willing to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. Try working that one out. Very hard. And yet, you can believe it. The disciples, folks, they actually saw Him. And it says as He was being carried up in Acts chapter 1, as He was being carried up into the heavens, the clouds were gathering it up. The, the text says many of them doubted. <laughs> So seeing is not believing. I mean, they're looking at, at their Savior raised from the dead going up into the heavens in a cloud and some of them are still doubting. So seeing is not believing. It will be counted righteousness to you, those of us who believe. As we look at the things which are, are seen, uh, as we look at the things that are unseen, as seen. For the things that are seen are transient. But things that are unseen are, are the things that are unseen are eternal, are eternal. John Newton, in a, in a letter, I think I've shared this with you before, but I, I, I hang on to it every day of my life. Now more than ever, we are never. Listen to what Newton said: We are never more safe. Never have more reason to expect the Lord's help than when we are most sensible that we can do nothing without Him. We're never more safe. You're never safer, never, than when you throw all of your weight on Jesus Christ. When you put all of your hope and trust in this great God. Not credulity, not faith in faith, but faith in God. The object of your faith. So where is this crucible, where is the crucible of conviction? It's very easy, folks, for us to think, wow, you know, Chuck's just putting this burden on me. I, I shouldn't have come today. I feel guilty now because I don't really believe, you know. And look, I'm a pastor. I'm a professional holy person. And I struggle with my faith, folks. Don't think I don't. I mean, I know. I've been to school. I've learned all kinds of good stuff. And I still struggle. And if you don't struggle, you're not in the crucible. You're in credulity. And I've had folks tell me, oh, I don't struggle. I believe every word of the Bible. No, you don't. Give me five minutes and I'll deconstruct that. We, have, we lie to ourselves every day. But think about this. Where is that crucible? Where do you find it?
really? Is it simply in your suffering, in your struggle? Is it all about you? Really? No, it's not. You might think it's your testing and your trials and your suffering. But if you do that, if you isolate your pain and your suffering and your, your problems in your life, if you take it and isolate it from the true crucible, then you will live a miserable Christian life. And believe me, the churches are full of miserable Christians because they, they disassociate their suffering and their pain and their tests and their trials. They disassociate them from the ultimate and true crucible of the cross of Jesus Christ. They don't identify their suffering with His. They don't identify their life with His. They don't see that His life is what... His life is the only thing. His suffering is the only thing. His cross is the only thing that gives any meaning to your suffering or your trials or your cross. Do do you see it? When Jesus said, take up your cross, what was the next words to come out of His mouth? And follow Me. Do you see how He joins them together? Take up your cross and follow Me. He never meant for you to uncouple your struggles and your trials and your pain and your hurts and your scared and your fears and all of the rest of your doubts. He never ever expected you to stand alone. He meant you to bring those things to Him, to couple them, to enjoin them with one another. He never meant for you to separate them. Jesus said this, and if you want to really have an enjoyable 15 or 20 minutes, just go home and sit quietly, maybe in the backyard, nobody around, and read the discourse in John chapter 7 and 8. Of Jesus talking about to people who should have believed in Him who would not believe in Him. And the discourse that went between them. It's fascinating. And it's really amazing. And Jesus said this during that that whole discourse. I can only read you this little part. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, He's talking about the crucifixion, about His life. Then you'll know that I am He. And that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. And as He said these things, listen, many believed in Him. Do you see it? You're going to see, you're going to get notitia, you're going to ascent, you're going to He's up there. We see it. But some of them said there's more than that. I'm going to trust Him all the way. All the way. Never separate your struggles, your trials, your pain, your worries, your fears, your doubts. Never separate them. Never uncouple them from the Savior who suffered and was tested and and died for you. You have to put them together and keep them there. And Horatius Bonar, the great, uh, one of my favorite authors, said this. The strength, listen folks, this will help you immensely if you listen. The strength or kind of faith, the, the quality or the amount of your faith is not the issue. Listen. The strength or kind of faith required is nowhere stated 
The Holy Spirit has said nothing as to quantity or quality on which so many dwell. How good is my faith? How much faith do I have? I don't have enough faith. My faith is really not that good. Nowhere is that stated. On which many dwell. And over which many stumble. Remaining all their lives in darkness and uncertainty. They're never sure. You can never be sure. Am I believing enough? Do I have the right kind of faith? Am I good enough? It just torments you. It torments me. But it's never in the Bible. They stumble remaining all their days in darkness and uncertainty. But true faith, authentic faith is this, Bonar says. It is simply believing. As feeble as our faith may be, as feeble as our faith may be, that we are invested with this righteousness. For faith is no work, nor merit, nor effort, but the cessation from all these. And so you're going to cease from all that hard work of trying to believe, and you're going to rest on Him alone. And the acceptance in place of them of what another has done. Instead of thinking about yourself all the time, and am I believing in believing? You move, and you can do it right now, folks. You can move from that over to what another has done. What has he done? And feel from that the faith begin to rise and swell in your own body, in your own heart, in your own mind. The acceptance in place of them of what another has done, done completely and forever. His perfection suffices to cover not only that which is imperfect in our character and lives, but that which is imperfect, listen, in our faith when we believe in His name. You see, you, by trusting in His name, take on everything that He is. You, trusting in your faith, lose everything that He is. Will you trust Him? Will you believe? Put your weight on Him? I pray you will. You'll find joy everlasting and victory you never imagined. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank You for Your kindness and Your mercy that endures forever. We are eternally grateful for the goodness uh, that You've that you've given us. And uh, I do pray, Father, that uh, as we stand before you now with all of our fears and our doubts and all of the rest of the often messy lives that we live, that you will help us to avert our eyes from ourselves and our faith and how well we're doing and am I believing, am I not believing. Avert them to the true crucible of faith our Lord Jesus Christ, where we find perfection in someone who trusted His Father to the uttermost. Help us to identify with Him and take on His strength and His power and His love, no matter the cost. Help us take up our cross and follow, follow Him. I pray that You'll do that for all of us, Lord, this day. Amen.